0: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast at FilmmakerU.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Every week, we're going to bring in a creative or craftsperson from the film industry to discuss their work. And this week is no different. This week, I'm going to be interviewing Nicole Veskell who is an editor who recently worked on bel-air which is the darker moodier reboot of the fresh prince of bel-air we're going to sit down and talk about the process of taking a beloved 90s show that was a comedy and transitioning it into a drama with all that said if you're a fan of these types of interviews you're going to love filmmakeru.com we host courses with the top film industry professionals like Sam Pollard, HBO's go-to director for documentaries, or Rob Legato, the three-time Oscar-winning VFX artist of films such as Titanic and Apollo 13. If you want to get 10% off those courses, go to filmmakeru.com and use the code THECUTTINGROOM, all one word, THECUTTINGROOM, to get 10% off. Now, with all that said, let's hear what Nicole has to say about Bel Air. Now, you went to USC for a direct... like, you wanted to become a director... Um, yeah. And you changed into editing, and I'm wondering, uh, while you were at USC, uh, was Norman Holland there, and did you have a chance to study with him, and did he sort of help change that path, or what was it like?
1: That's a great question. Um, he was there. I did not take any courses with him. Um, I had a pretty unique. I would want to. I would hope to thank these students, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the students in my track wanted to direct. Um, and when you're an undergrad, they only choose four students to make a thesis. So that kind of creates a lot of like tension between the between in the class. And um, I was chosen um to direct. And through that process, I kind of, you know, you're 18 years old. You think you're, you know, directing the most incredible film of your life. And I kind of started overstepping some boundaries, like really pushing like the limits of what I could and couldn't do. And eventually the faculty did not um, like that because I was really trying to like go outside the box. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got faced almost with um, expulsion from the school and I had to get a lawyer. (laughs) It was was a a mess. But then when that all settled down, it was about my junior year of film school and I just focused all my courses and attention on documentary filmmaking and editing. Mm -hmm. And I realized that everything I wanted like, all the joy I got out of directing, I even found more joy in editing because, um, you know, when you're on set, there's there's a lot going on. You kind of have to control the orchestra. When you're editing, I'm alone in my editing bay, and I'm controlling my footage, my dailies, everything, and I don't have to worry about making my day, like, being on time. I don't have to, like, appease to, like, 50 like other departments. I'm in my own world. And and at first it felt, um very therapeutic for me to process that kind of traumatic experience of almost getting kicked out of school. But then, you know, after I graduated and, you know, started to work professionally in the field, I, it became like a deep, deep, um, appreciation, appreciation and kind of passion for the craft of editing and filmmaking through editing. So it was through that experience, not more, like, I wish it was like a professor, but it was rather that experience that I created for myself that, um, where I learned that or I rather I realized like, yeah, I want to be an editor.
0: Now you said you've done a lot of docs or you, you like to work on docs. What is it that attracts you to the documentary format?
1: That's a great question. Cause I haven't worked on docs in a, in a while. Um, basically I really, and it sounds so funny, but I love getting a ton of footage dumped on me. <laughs> <'Cause> I, <laughs> it's like, I love getting thrown in the trenches and doing that work of sifting through. It's not even sifting. I really love watching, um, Hours and hours and hours and finding gold and, and like mining for gold. I really like for a lot of people it's a chore, but I really enjoy it. And I really love knowing that I need some like a certain soundbite or something to happen in a story for all of it to connect. And I love finding it. Like it's like brings me so much joy and then piecing it together. And also in documentary editing, a lot of the responsibility of writing falls on the editor, and you don't really get that a lot when you're in scripted because there's a script, obviously. So, um, that responsibility also is is wonderful because you're more um, active in the creation of the story as an editor in Doc. You're helping write it, you're helping put it, you know, go through everything and find the story with the director.
0: When I was researching for this in an interview for uh, Outer Banks uh, for Cine Montage, uh, Mm -hmm. you, you talked about, I guess, having rules or setting rules up for Outer Banks to sort of help you craft that story. And I'm wondering if when you're approaching projects, do you do that? Do you sort of set up guides or uh, do you just work with the show Bible? Like how do you approach a, sh- a show?
1: That's a really great question. Well, like for specifically Outer Banks, there was such a um, distinct tone and style already established like season mm-hmm. one. Right. And it's such a visceral, like strong tone, like whether the Outer Banks vibe is its own vibe. So when mm-hmm. I came on season three, of course, like, I'm honoring that. Is, like, Jonas Pate, Josh Pate, Shannon Burke, Sunny Hodge did such an amazing job putting, like, creating that world. So, yes, I follow it. But in terms of my rules, like, when I, on any show I'm on, I kind of have my own um, approach of how I break down dailies and break down a script. Um, because, I, I, I like, I love working with music, and I'm very, like, musical when I think about everything. So I'll break down a script in terms of, like, okay, here's like the plot moments, here's like the emotional soap moments, here's a montage, and I'll start thinking really, really early on of how score or songs, especially in Outer Banks, that's such a heavy needle drop show, Mm -hmm. um, how I could elevate the script, how I could elevate the story, the dailies, the footage with music. So those are kind of like my rules I go into on any show. And to me, Outer Banks is so lovely to do that, because that's, that's already what they were doing. They are really elevating stories through music. So it was such a great show to um, be a part of.
0: Well, I was going to say, with like uh, shows that are heavy needle drop, I would say actually most of the older editors I've talked to would say that they don't like to cut with music. They turn it off. And then they add the music and they sort of work with it. Uh, and I found that a lot of the younger editors are like, no, I just start with the music and I start to craft it. How do you like to approach it?
1: Totally. That's a, that's a great question. Um, when I first started cutting like when I first got my first opportunity after I got bumped from assisting I had to put like the score in early on um and I I think I might have used it as a crutch early on and then as I continued cutting and getting more experience the, and feeling more confident in my decision and more confident in my like in my abilities I started doing that less like okay I'll cut the scenes cut the scenes have the scenes and then I'll play with music knowing that I I have an idea of what this is It really just depends. I'd say more so now I'll finish I'll finish crafting my scenes or my montages without score or songs and then I'll put them in afterwards because I just I'm trusting my gut on the pacing and performances without the songs and without score and usually what I'll do and I, I know older editors do this as well is after I finish cutting a scene I'll stand up kind of far away from my playback monitor i'll turn off all sound even the dialogue and i'll watch it play visually just so you see mm-hmm. the pacing's working then i'll do it again but i won't look at the screen i'll just listen to the dialogue just here and then i'll start playing with music but in terms of like when i'm putting my whole cut together i'll put my score and my songs in really early like i'll put them in after i finish cutting a scene as opposed to um, when i'm working in a bigger assembly if that makes sense Just Mm -hmm. because I'm so excited by it, I want to see. Because you know, when you put in music, like, oh man, this is awesome. This is so exciting. Or like, this doesn't work. I gotta go back to square one.
0: Earlier in your career, you used it more as a crusher. You're saying, but I'm wondering, like, what are some things that you've noticed changed in your your approach to editing? And maybe this isn't even a really good question, but like, yeah, like when you said that, I was thinking, like, I wonder how you've evolved as an editor. Like, have you noticed, uh, you know, your approach to cuts differently, or your approach to scenes or dialogue differently? Like, how have you evolved as an editor
1: it's a really good question i think i learned a lot on this show called the resident medical Mm -hmm. drama and amy holden jones was our uh show creator and one of our showrunners and she's to be an editor i think she was like hal ashby's editor she's she's an incredible smart writer and woman and uh, i learned a lot from her as, as when we were working together when i was cutting but i'd say my biggest so that was like one big evolution of like she was just incredible Um, just as a mentor not even she didn't have to be my mentor she was like my show creator but it worked out as a Mm -hmm. mentorship um, almost but to digress when I became I I gave birth to my son like four and a half years ago and when I became a mother I felt like that was my biggest kind of upgrade in terms of my evolution as an editor because I was able to slow down and kind of um, feel empathy more you know, and when, and and be more and, and and source more empathy through when I'm crafting my scenes and really f- slowing down and decide, making sure characters are connecting and the pacing is feeling right. There's just something that clicks, um, and it's just a confidence also and a perspective shift. Like work doesn't matter. It's like I have a kid now, <laughs> and when that like uh, pressure kind of shifted, I think it allowed me to relax more in editing and just don't force things and kind of really re like listen to what the dailies are telling me Mm -hmm. and um yeah i mean it sounds it sounds crazy when i say it out loud but um that's yeah that's really when it happened about like four and a half five years ago
0: with covid you were probably work you might have been working at home you might because you have an office but did you find? Because I just know when my daughter would just like come in and be like, "What's going on?" and like trying to figure out what I'm doing on the computer. So like, was that happening to you? And how did you keep focused? In that totally,
1: situation? totally. Well, um, it's hard. So like, luckily, he's in preschool now, so I have like a really good chunk from like 9 a.m. to like 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then as so it's so interesting, as I evolved as an editor, I also got faster, right? So I could cut more in a shorter period of time but it's and the quality still was high right Mm -hmm. and so I was able to you know when I always try and craft a couple hours when he's home um to family time and and do that work-life balance and since COVID I've been fully remote um which I really love because I don't I don't know if any like I don't like commuting to work (laughs) like spending like three hours in a car at times it's tricky to balance because yeah they run up but like luckily I've worked like my team on Outer Banks, my team on Bel Air, they all have families. They all get it, mm-hmm. and they've all been super supportive um, and gracious. And it's worked. It's worked out well because I get to see my child and work. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I actually like it. You know, I really do like it.
0: Now, you you talked about or you mentioned Bel Air there. So, like, did you watch the original series of uh, Totally? Yeah. Do you need to separate yourself from the original in your head? Like, how do you approach that? Because I think about you know, like the basketball scenes and dealing with his dad and all these issues. And I immediately started thinking about, you know, Will Smith and the original and like, there's a comparison right, right. in my head. So do you need right. to like separate yourself? Like, how do you approach that when you're cutting?
1: That's a great question, Gordon. Um, like the approach, obviously the remake, the approach is so different than the original mm-hmm. and my just base level, like filmmaking sensibilities gravitate more so towards the remake. Like, I like gritty dramas, you know, I like elevating stories through like cinematic moments or with music. And so I was like immediately able to just compartmentalize and like the, uh, you know, the sitcoms here and then the remakes here. And I didn't, you know, it was just like a switch. So really, I wasn't really getting uh, tripped up by, you know, the original Wolfman version at all. Yeah, luckily.
0: Now, is there a particular scene or moment in the, the episodes you've cut that you're really proud of, but was really difficult and to sort of get to?
1: You know what? What I was most surprised in and what I liked cutting the most, like overall, and then I'll pinpoint a scene, was the way that they dealt with Carlton's character in the mm-hmm. remake um, and his anxiety and his addiction to drugs and how grounded it was, but also how kind of like psychological they um they 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 approached it, and so in an early episode in 203, um, where Will and Carlton are supposed to lead the school, the BSU on a huge like walkout because they fired a black teacher. Carlton he's at a crossroads because if he leads this walkout, he's he's like gonna get this teacher is supposed to nominate him for this big award, and he's you know he's a, he's a go getter, he's a good he's a good doer, um, so he's really nervous, and that spikes his anxiety. So. Um, There's this great moment or great sequence where they're about to, they've walked out, they're about to do the protest and he's looking around and you see his anxiety building, anxiety building. They shot it slow-mo. So I was going in and out of 48 to 24 frames, um, starting to bubble him, meaning that I was taking the sound design and like um, verbing it out in and out, uh, going close on his face, sucking all the sound out until he has a full blown, blown panic attack. Um, and Will snaps him out of it. And that was really amazing to cut. Cause I think that was the first opportunity on the show where I was able to like flex a little bit and use like sound design and slow mo mm-hmm. and juxtaposition and, and cutting and pacing and slowing it up and down to really highlight a character's emotional state. And then what was great about that is right when Will snaps him out of it and talks to him, we jump off into this fun montage with this great, um, with this great song that takes us through the protest. Um, and it was, and it was just a really awesome moment of feeling the tension, tension, and then this really, um, celebratory moment. So, so that was like really, and I was like, yeah, one of the first things I cut that was wonderful. Michael Weaver directed that episode and he did a great job. He's, he used to be DT. and now he's a great director. Um, he didn't, he just captured just perfect moments for me to cut with.
0: You, what's interesting is you pr- talk about the psychology and dealing with the sort of the inner monologues of these characters essentially, or the, how they're thinking. So, yeah. you know, whenever I talk to students and stuff. They're always like, what books do I have to read for editing? But what I found is, you know, like some of the top editors I've talked to, they don't, they'll read the, you know, in the blink of an eye and what have you, but they'll look for other books outside of that to help sort of give them more of an understanding of the characters or what have you. Is there something that you've discovered outside of editing books that you found really helped you as an editor?
1: I mean, music is like my biggest inspiration. I would say like, like, like songs I listen to this now, like I'm a very visual person, but I'm a visual person through auditory experiences. So like I'll hear things and then like, I'll just like without even closing my eyes, I could see, some, I could see like what I want the music to be like in a scene, almost Mm. like a music video. And from a young age, I've always been like that just obsessed with like, oh man, this song, this moment, and not even like songs with lyrics, like just instrumental stuff. Um, Like, wow, this would be a great moment for like, a, a small girl walking through a forest and the trees are going around her. Just like, mm-hmm. so basically, that's my biggest source of inspiration because with music, it, like a song has arcs and it has like an intro and it has a bridge and it has a mm-hmm. hook and all that stuff just to me is editing, it's pacing, it's rhythm, it's taking you through kind of like a roller coaster or something. Um, so that inspires me a lot. And then, other like, I mean, the whole before, like before sunset, before sunrise, mm-hmm. after, before midnight. um, that trilogy really inspired me. I, I watched that. I think the first, the first one I watched when I was like ten or twelve, and just the editing in that, um, the naturalism. So that's something I'm really drawn to. It's naturalism, but then heightening it through like yeah. music, or and um, that's what Dapper makes does so well, which I love. But that's where I usually get my inspiration. When I'm reading books, I don't. The visuals don't like. I'm not inspired as much visually. It's music that inspires me more visually and what I get excited about when, when cutting.
0: Okay. So what is then, what is the song right now that you're really enjoying because it gives you a unique visual experience?
1: Josh Pate, who's one of the creators and showrunners of Outer Banks. Yeah. He puts together these incredible playlists every season. He just put together the playlist for season four. Um, and let me tell you the song I added onto it that, okay. It's called, Aida, A-I-D-A, and it's by Nina Jelik.
0: What, what do you see uh, when you hear it?
1: Oh, uh, what do I see when I hear it? I get reminded of the war in Ukraine. Cause I'm, <laughs> um, I'm, my, my parents are from Ukraine, and I just see, like, a be- like, I see, like, the beautiful, like, the, the beauty that, that comes out of the terror, mm-hmm. and I just see a lot of, like, rivers coming together and a lot of the farms. But but it tells me a story, Tell like, I mean, every time I hear it, I hear a different story, but, it, but the story that comes from it is always something about has to be Ukraine.
0: You talked about Outer Bank. so you brought it up. So like, yeah. is season four going to, because it has that documentary style. I think it was shot with three or four cameras and a lot of ad-libbing. Is it still continuing that style?
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Because if they're shooting multi cam. I guess it helps a bit. But like, I find that ad-libbing is really difficult in terms of story, uh, molding the story. So how do you approach a scene uh, with lots of ad-libbing?
1: basically with like a lot of footage and options i get a freedom to interpret the essence of the scene and create something new from it right like jj is like the king of adlibs he he could do like 20 different jokes and the jokes aren't even on the script he'll just like <laughs> they just have they have fun with it and so i'll put my favorite in there right and then mm-hmm. when i'm working first with sunny hodge who she's our um, she's a producer who's a supervising editor so i'll work with her first we'll get the kind of good shape. Then we'll start present it to um, our EPs after I've worked with the director. But basically I'll make sure I have all my ad-libs like strung out and I'll play them because even if like, we all think the one I chose is the best, like we got to listen to all of them because it's fun. Like a lot of, you know, a lot, because there's, because the characters and the actors do such great things. It's fun to just like um, review it all. And then sometimes I don't pick the great, like the funniest one you know, and we'll, mm. but it, it's a, it's a responsibility to show the guys, um, what's there.
0: Now I have one last question for you. Uh, what would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film or TV show to watch?
1: I don't know if I'm butchering the title, but, um, the great British bake-off.
0: Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Right? That's the title. So that's the title. Now, do, you, great. do you watch the, uh, <laughs> spin-off? So like the Canadian one, I the try. Australian and the
1: I try, but it's not the same. It's like, even when they do the holiday versions of the Great British Bake Off, it's not the same.
0: Really? Which which country did you try?
1: I don't I don't think I tried the countries. I think I just tried to have like a patisserie, like a pastry huh, okay. one. Yeah. Um, And then I tried the holiday spin-off. And then because I didn't yeah, it's even try the, the other country, it's not the same.
0: Well, hey, okay. Are you a fan of Schitt's Creek?
1: I have. You know what? I have never seen oh, okay, it. Okay. Because
0: I was going to say in Canada, <laughs> Dan Levy, the guy who wrote all of Shits Creek and starred in it he, while he was creating Shits Creek before it aired he did the Canadian one as the comedy person oh really and so like if you're a fan of him then you go and watch the first couple of seasons because it's him riffing on people
1: is it what's it called a great Canadian
0: big off yeah it's just the exact same <laughs> model you know just in Canada So that's my interview with Nicole Vasquez. I'd like to thank Nicole for joining me. I'd also like to thank our producer, Jason Banke, as well as our editor, Evan Winch. Don't forget, you can get 10% off at filmmakeryou.com with the promo code, TheCuttingRoom, all one word. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.